Thank you, brother, for that great lead-in to our local evangelism month. I encourage you to open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. It's a passage of Scripture that we are, many of us, very familiar with. Uh, and it is going to be our focus for the entirety of the month. If you are here this morning and you are relatively new at First Baptist Church, uh, Local Evangelism Month may be a somewhat foreign concept to you. So I would like to just briefly explain to you why we take a month to focus on local evangelism here at First Baptist. You see, we have a strong conviction that as a church, we are responsible for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have a strong belief that we are part of the story of the Bible which means that God is going to be reaching people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation with the message. That the gospel is for all peoples. But as John just prayed, and as we know from Acts 1.8, we are responsible for the people that God has placed in our lives as well. Acts 1.8 challenged the believers at Pentecost when it said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So not only are we called to be witnesses and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but we are to be gospel witnesses right here where God has placed us. Right here in the community where God has put your family and mine. So we take the month of October for us to focus on that challenge and to remind us of our calling to be salt and light every day of our lives as we pursue Christ where we live, where we work, and where we play. And so our theme this year is to be prepared to make a defense from 1 Peter 1, verse, chapter 3, verse 15. And it's no big surprise here to anyone this morning that when we are out in our culture, oftentimes we feel like it is becoming more and more secular. You see, many people grow up in a family or a culture that doesn't include attending church, knowing about the Bible, understanding who Jesus is, and knowing the gospel. Those are foreign concepts to some people in our community. And, and even as John prayed, that perhaps we could come across people who don't even know the gospel message right here in our community. And that seems unfathomable to us, but it is true. So if you think your job as a believer, though, however, is, is to throw your hands up in frustration and to lash out politically or to attack people on social media for their ignorance, you're doing it wrong. That is not at all our calling as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be the ones who bring hope and bear hope to those who are lost. And so we'll be reminded this morning and all this month that as his children, God has called us to be men and women who are ready to make a defense of the gospel, to share the hope that we have in Christ, the only hope that can save this world. So instead of commiserating about how bad things are in our culture, perhaps we should consider how we, all of us, have been placed here to make an impact, to share hope, to give the reason for the hope that is within us, for us to, to know the hope of Jesus and the transformative power of the gospel. 
Because if you don't believe here this morning that the gospel has the power to change people in our culture, then you are believing some other the gospel than the one that Christ wants us to preach. Because the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. And that is the gospel message that, that gives us great hope and a hope that we can share with others. So this month I will preach three different times and, and we'll be unpacking 1 Peter 3.15 in those times that I am sharing. Sprinkled in the midst of those messages, Pastor Tim is going to continue to share about the beautiful power of the resurrection. What, what other great hope could we have to share with others than the resurrection power of Christ? And we'll also, this month, have a presentation from our new Beacon of Hope director, Cindy Thalen, talking about how we here at First Baptist Church have, have a place that the community is coming to and saying, tell me about hope. What a great gift that is. So I'm excited to see how God will use this time that we spend together in his word, focusing on local evangelism. But this morning, let's dive together into 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 13 this morning where it says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In, in future weeks, we're, we're going to continue to dissect verse 15 a little bit more in depth. But I wanted us to see an overview of this text here this morning that I hope will prepare our hearts for our time spent together at the Lord's table and celebrating local evangelism month together. So our first point this morning is this, the gospel in a hostile culture. In our fallen world, every culture is hostile to the gospel. There is no culture in our world that is completely sold out and committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Notice the words that Peter uses to describe the expectations that the early Christians had. He uses words like harm, suffer, fear, trouble. Those are not happy words. These believers in the early church knew what it meant to suffer for the sake of the cross. They were living it out daily. They lived in a culture that was dramatically in, set up in opposition to the message of Jesus. It's almost like they were called to be a night and day difference in that culture because that is exactly, or should I say, a darkness and light difference in that culture that is why we are called to to stand out and be separate from the culture in which we live because no matter how culturally good it might be it is in opposition to jesus and we forget that those who do not know christ cannot honor christ as their lord why would we be surprised that our culture then is any different why why does it surprise me every time when I read something about how ungodly our culture is, it's almost as if our culture is a self-serving culture that is set up in opposition to all that God would have for it. Because it is. 
You see, it should not surprise us. Just to be clear, our culture is opposed to God's purpose and plans. Every culture is. And the scripture is full of references that tell us why, that remind us that Satan has been given limited authority here on this earth to rule and to reign. And he is in opposition of God, to God and wants to destroy everything that was set up in the image of God. One such example can be found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. It says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. If you know Christ as your Savior, you are from God. You have been made a new creation. You are different. But the world around you, it is not different. The world around you, apart from Christ, is completely opposed to the gospel message. And it lies in the power of the evil one. So should we be surprised that our culture is opposed to God and his truth? No. It should not surprise us. Even though we know Jesus and we are from God, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Because of our fallen, sinful human nature, I, I think we sometimes subconsciously like to go to extremes. It's just a tendency that we all have. And in this case, in the case of our culture, we either go to the extreme where we believe that our culture is Christian or that they don't need Jesus at all, right? We, we like to go to these extremes. Or maybe we believe that our culture is, is beyond the reach of the gospel. Either way, if we already think that our culture is Christian or we believe that our culture is beyond the reach of the gospel... The end result is the same, and Satan wins because we stop sharing the hope that is within us. Because if it's already Christian, they don't need Jesus. And if it's beyond the reach of the gospel, they don't need Jesus. But the reality is, they need Jesus. And God has placed us here to be the light of the gospel in their lives. This means that we don't equate my preferences with gospel authority. This means that we, we don't put my thoughts and my wishes above what the world really needs you see sometimes we love to to tell the story of jesus and to sing about the gospel and to celebrate the gospel when we're with the people of god and that's great man i love singing holy 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 together i i heard them practicing this morning and i thought oh man i can't wait till god's people are together to sing that and, and i was right my heart was immensely blessed by that and, and it's a good thing to to want to gather together and to sing god's praises together but what about when we're out there? We're equally responsible for praising God and being salt and light and, and praising and giving testimony to the goodness and graciousness of God out there because they're the ones who also need to hear it. They're the ones who need to know that, that the gospel can transform our lives and make a difference. And it's the gospel that does that, not the things that I like to think or the things that I like to do. We should not be surprised when the people and systems of this world are set up in opposition to God's kingdom. But we have to always remember, before Christ, that's exactly who I was. It's exactly who you were. We were part of that system that was opposed to God, who didn't understand the gospel. We were, we were born into sin, and we choose sin. We were separated from our God by our sin. Such were some of you. Scripture tells us over and over. In fact, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where it says, 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Before Christ, that was me, lost and separated from God. I might have thought that I was a decent guy, but I had no real hope. Peter was reminding the early church that this life is a battle, it's a war. And occasionally, we have the joy and the privilege of seeing people come from the darkness into the light. But the world around wants to destroy that. The enemy wants to destroy you. And sometimes I believe that, that, that people get a little too confused by Satan's power in this world. Sometimes we see some of the things going on in our world around us and we think, oh, well, you know what? Satan's just got a hold of that person, that culture, that group. And they are beyond the reach of the gospel. But that is not true. It is true that every person bears the image of God. And, and so Satan hates and wants to destroy that image bearer. He, he wants to destroy not only believers, but unbelievers. He is one that destroys. But he does not have ultimate authority in this world. He only has the authority that has been given to him. And as a church, we need to understand that, that there is no one beyond the reach of the gospel. There is no culture that is beyond the reach of the gospel. There is no people that are beyond the reach of the gospel. And we shouldn't look at a group of people and say, yeah, they're so far gone that, that they'll never come to Jesus. That is just not true. Satan doesn't have ultimate authority over them. He only has the authority that has been given to him by God. And we have the power of the gospel. Jesus is the one who holds the keys to heaven and eternity. And so we proclaim him. We proclaim his hope. Though the enemy wants to destroy, we are the ones who are supposed to bring hope. So our next point this morning is that we do have a reason for hope. Christ is Lord. In a world that often seems hopeless, the Lord Jesus Christ is our reason for hope. And Peter tells his readers, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. In your heart, determine, decide, make sure that you are, have decided ahead of time that Jesus is Lord and honor him as holy. Yes, we live in a broken world that needs the gospel message. So what should we do? Well, in our hearts, we decide ahead of time that Christ the Lord is holy. He is who he says he is. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who was with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit making a plan before the foundations of the earth for the salvation of his people. That is who we follow. That is who we serve. And although Satan has been given some limited authority, every commandment, although Satan has been given some limited authority, Jesus is the Lord. He is the one who holds all authority. In fact, he, when he gave us the Great Commission, he reminded us that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. Therefore, because he is the one with all authority in heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Our call to go, our call to reach people with the gospel message is all predicated upon the fact that Jesus is the one who holds all power and authority. So our task to reach people with the message of the gospel is dependent upon the fact that Jesus has power over everything. So those people that we think might be beyond the scope, beyond the reach of the gospel, they are not. 
Our king has all authority. So we should not be afraid or perplexed when the world opposes the gospel. Instead, though, we need to constantly remind them that Jesus is Lord, the one with all authority. R.C. Sproul, addressing this concept, says this. He says, God the Father gives to Jesus all authority in heaven and in earth. In his ascension, Christ is seated at the right hand of God, where he is crowned as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That was a tremendous blow to all worldly or satanic powers, principalities, and spiritual wickedness in high places. So if you ask me, who is in dominion over this world right now? I, th I think the New Testament is pretty clear on that. The one who is in dominion is the Lord. So yes, while, while every culture and every people group are, are naturally in their fallen sinful human nature opposed to God, opposed to his kingdom, opposed to Christ, don't give Satan more authority than he has. He only has the authority that was given to him by God. Think about it, when Job was being tempted, when, when Job was going through his trials, Satan had to approach God and ask for permission to sift him. And it's not like God is somehow struggling with Satan for authority of the universe like you might see in movies. That is not it at all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And yet, he has allowed Satan to have authority for a limited time in this world. But our goal, our privilege, our responsibility is to go into that world and preach the gospel. The gospel of the one who truly has all authority in heaven and earth jesus is lord amen and if we truly truly believe that all authority in heaven has been given to him if we can truly say amen to that then we must honor him as lord if jesus is the lord which he is you and i are called then to honor him as lord it is, it is not enough just to say that Jesus is Lord, and I believe that he has all authority in heaven and earth, and I believe that, that he is the holy, perfect, righteous one who died for me on the cross. I can't just say that I believe that. My life, your life, if you are in Christ, must reflect that. You must honor him as Lord. In Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. His words haven't changed. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If we say that Christ is Lord, we must honor him as Lord. In verse 15, Peter told us, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is within you. That means if we say that Christ is Lord, we should always be ready to make a defense. For the hope that's in us. We should always be ready to make a, a defense of, of, of the fact that why I have been changed, how I have been changed, that Christ is the one that has changed us. And Peter assumes that, that Jesus is their Lord in this passage. He assumes that, that Jesus is the reason that they have hope. Because there could be no other reason for hope. So he challenges them to always be ready to share the hope that they have. The gospel is my only hope the gospel is your only hope and the gospel is the world's only hope without the gospel there there can be no salvation for the neighbor across the street that we love without the gospel there can be no salvation 
for that people group in Indonesia that hasn't yet even heard the name of Jesus. The gospel is our only, only hope. If we want to fix the problems in our world, we have to prioritize the gospel message because it is the only message, the only hope that can save people. If we're prioritizing anything else other than the gospel, we are prioritizing something that can't give eternal hope to the people around us. You see, our conservative values, though I appreciate them here in Clinton County, they are not our hope. They are not our refuge. They are not our redeemer. Having the right man or woman in the governor's office or the West Wing is not our hope, our refuge, or our redeemer. Jesus Christ is the only hope that this world has, and it is the only hope that we have to offer anyone. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in politics or some of those other things, but it, it cannot make the difference that the gospel can make in our culture. Nothing can impact someone's eternity other than Jesus and the gospel message. <coughs> Excuse me. Acts 4.12 tells us that salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the hope that we have to offer the world. And so that is the truth that we must take a stand on. When we say Christ is the Lord, we must honor him as our Lord. So when it comes to evaluating our culture, we don't go to either extreme saying, no, it's already Christian, it doesn't need Jesus. Or it's beyond the reach of the gospel, it doesn't need Jesus. We realize that everyone needs Jesus, starting with me, the chief of sinners. And when we understand that, and when we live that way, our passage tells us that we can have a clear conscience. When we appropriately take a stand for the cause of Christ, we can walk with a clear conscience. Look again at verse 15 at the second half of it. It says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that the hope is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put shame as believers in the lord jesus christ we must be prepared to do the right thing to do the right thing and possibly suffer because of it too often we fall into the world's faulty logic that says well you know if i do the right thing it'll all work out for me in the end well it depends on what you mean by that if you think doing the right thing means that you're going to be blessed and everything's going to be perfect in your life it's wrong if you mean that by doing the right thing and living for Christ, you have an eternity in heaven no matter what happens to you in this earth, and that you have a hope that can't be taken away from you, that is true. But just because you are a follower of Christ and doing the right thing doesn't mean that everything is going to be smooth in rainbows and butterflies in your life. Sometimes we will suffer for doing what is right, but we have to be prepared to share the truth. That means we are willing to suffer for the gospel message if necessary. And we have to make that decision ahead of time. That's what it means to be prepared. You see, when we are prepared, our conscience can be clear because we know that when time comes, we are going to take a stand for Christ. We know that we'll be able to say, I preached the truth. I preached the gospel. I gave them a hope because I gave them Jesus. Because he is my Lord and he is the most important and he is the hope that I have to offer. Even in the face of scorn, persecution, and suffering, 
we share Christ because we know His transformative power. We know that the Gospel changes us and we know that they can be changed as well. But you see, a clear conscience also requires the right message and the right methods. Notice there are two distinct parts to the reason that, uh, for the hope that they have. First, it is the gospel for the lost. Be prepared to share the reason for the hope that is within you. Be prepared to share the gospel. If you have hope in anything other than the gospel message, and, and, and if you have hope in anything other than Christ, you actually are hopeless. So we are called to know the true hope of Jesus and to share that hope with others. But we're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect. You see, when our hearts have truly been changed by the power of the gospel, our lives must be changed as well. We aren't supposed to bully or guilt someone into a decision to follow Jesus. If we do that, they're not truly putting their hope in Christ. We aren't, we aren't supposed to, to treat people disrespectfully and then tell them that they need to turn to the greatest hope that we have, which is Christ. Instead, we should be willing to show them that our lives have been transformed, that my life has been changed, that Jesus has, what Jesus has done for me. We have the right hope because we have Christ. So we have the right message. And then we have to share that message in the right way with others. You see, we should be willing to show them the transformative power of the gospel. They should be able to look at our lives and see how Christ has changed us so that when we share that hope with them, they will want to have that hope as well. There's a beautiful benefit to sharing the right message with the right methods. The passage of Scripture says that, that when we do that, when we share the truth with gentleness and respect, any accusation being labeled against us, being sent against us, is simply slander. When we share the right message with the right methods, we can trust the results to God. And that's what we are called to do. I'm reminded this morning that our Lord knew His children would be living in cultures that would be hostile to His truth. But we have been changed by the gospel. We're different from the world around us because we have the hope of Christ in us. So we need to be prepared to share that hope with others around us. And that means that we need to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel. Constantly remind ourselves of our daily need for Christ. Constantly remind us ourselves of what Christ has done for us. When we remind ourselves of those things, we'll be prepared to share those things with others around us as well. You see, Jesus commands his disciples to go and preach the gospel to all those who need to hear it and to remind ourselves of what that gospel message means to us as well. So today, at the conclusion of our service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. There is nothing more beautiful, there's no testimony greater than us celebrating the Lord's Supper together. For us saying, I know and understand what Christ did for me on the cross. I understand his broken body, his blood that was shed for me. And I'm going to remember that, and I'm going to proclaim that for all of my days. So as we go to the Lord's Supper together, I ask that you would consider, do you know the hope of the gospel? 
if that, re- if that hope is in you, we should always be prepared to give a reason for that hope that is within us. In a few moments, one of our deacons will pray, and, and then they will pass the bread and the cup to everyone. And I will share passages of Scripture, and then we will eat together. If you're visiting with us this morning and you know Christ is your Savior, I, I encourage you, please feel free to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. But if you're not sure where you stand with Christ, I would encourage you to just let the elements pass you by. But we would love to talk to you about the hope that we have together in Christ. At this time, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together.